And if you're new with us, you need to know about three months ago, as pastors and elders, we approached the Four Oaks Church family, and we said, you know, we believe God um, is leading us to align ourselves um, with a different statement of faith. And so we've been, been part of the Evangelical Free Church and affirming that statement of faith. But we felt that there was a number of areas that were not addressed in that statement of faith that were important for us as a church family to really grow in and grab a hold of. And so over the past few months, we've been doing a number of things. One, we've been having a series of pastor classes where different pastors have been teaching on various subjects that we find in the statement of faith, things like God's sovereignty, things about uh, leadership and how we're to be connected to other bodies of Christ and those sorts of things. And, and if you missed one of those classes or you didn't get to attend, those videos are available on the Four Oaks website, fouroakschurch.com. We've also been meeting with, engaging um, with a number of you around a variety of issues. And one of the things that we said we really need to do here as a church family is, is to have a season where we really take a deep dive into the statement of faith that we're, that we're proposing. So there's 13 articles in the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith. There's 13 weeks of summer, and so we said, let's, let's really pour ourselves into each of those articles over, over, over this span of, of three months or so, and so that's what we're doing in a summer series that we are calling Truth Matters, and we're up to Article 3 today, God Designing, and, and, and this is all about um, men and, and women and, and let me just say that I discovered once the sermon series was laid out, not only was I preaching on men and women, I was also preaching on election in two weeks. And I'm not sure who was responsible for that, but they should be fired immediately. But I, can I fire myself? I don't know. Anyway, so somehow, I guess it's possible. It's possible. Article 3, men and women, all in 37.5 minutes. Is it possible? Let's give it a shot. We're going to flash this on the screen here behind us, and let me read it, it's, and it's, it's lengthy, um, but it's, I think it's pretty powerful and rich, and once again, for those of you who have been here at Four Oaks for any amount of time, you know this is not anything new, okay? This is not something new being advocated by us as pastors and elders. It's simply a recognition of what we've affirmed as a leadership this whole time. And now we're kind of calling the whole church family to rally around this as well. So Article 3, we believe that God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. Adam and Eve belonged to the created order that God himself declared to be very good, serving as God's agents to care for, manage, and govern creation, living in holy and devoted fellowship with their maker. Men and women equally made in the image of God enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one-flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women, such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. In God's wise purposes, men and women are not simply interchangeable, but rather they complement each other in mutually enriching ways. God ordains that they assume distinctive roles, 
which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church, the husband exercising headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ, and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve Christ and to be developed to their full potential in the manifold mysteries of the people of God. The distinctive leadership role within the church given to qualified men is grounded in creation, fall, and redemption and must not be sidelined by appeals to cultural developments. You know, parents, your, your kids are, are home with you this summer, and there's some things that you will do this summer as a parent that your kids will just think you are all that, right? So, so parents, you can take your kids to the beach. You can make the journey to, to Harry Potter world and pay homage to all the nerds that are there, okay? You can take your kids to some gosh-forsaken water park like Big Kahuna's in Destin, and, and, it's, and we've been, and it's gosh-forsaken. And, and your kids will absolutely love you for it, right? For some of you, your, your, your children even now, are sleeping with pictures of you under their pillow, okay? At least our kids are. Um, but there are some things, let's be honest, as parents that you will do this summer that will, how shall we say this, go largely unappreciated by your kids, right? So, so some of you have kids who are absolutely allergic to bathing during the summer, okay? I, don't, I mean, not that any of the Gilbert kids would fall into this category. Actually, Jack would probably never bathe in the history of his of, of his of his boyhood if we did not make him, right? So, so parents, you're making your kids plow through their summer reading list, okay? All not likely candidates to make mom and dad very popular. Now, now here's the deal. As Christians, there are some things that we will do culturally that will get us major props from the culture, okay? That will totally resonate with the spirit of the age. So, for example... If, you, if we as believers advocate for stopping the sexual slave trade, by the way, which we totally should advocate for, which should we be completely involved with, our culture will resonate with that. You will get plenty of applause. You will get lots of accolades. However, as a Christian, if you advocate for biblical manhood and womanhood, what? Not so much, right? Not so much. And here, here is fundamentally why. Here is why this this article that we just read so goes against the grain for so many, I mean, not just culturally, but maybe even for so many of us as Christians. And a lot of times the reason is, is is an unspoken subtext, and it relates to a script, a a script of Western culture that, that we are constantly hearing, that we are constantly breathing in that we are, in fact, acting out on a stage um, on a daily basis. And the script basically goes something like this. Above all things, Americans, you've got to be yourself. You've got to be true to yourself. So sexual desires, sexual expression are at the heart of your personal identity. Individuals should be free to live as they alone see fit. And so when, when it, it, 
And a lot of times when we will, let me venture to say this, a lot of times when we come to, to an issue like this and we read that article, probably for most of you, you're not going to necessarily, this isn't exclusively true, but for most of you, you're not necessarily going to disagree with what we just read. When we look at the text this morning and unpack them, um, most of you will not necessarily give a lot of pushback to them. However, because of the cultural script and the cultural air that we breathe all the time, a lot of us can just be honestly say, you know, can come to the place of saying, you know, Pastor Paul, do we have to go there? Okay, is this really that important? Does this have to be in a statement of faith? Are we not inviting trouble? Don't you know the culture we live in? I'm trying to share the gospel with my neighbor and when we come to this stuff, it's just like they're just, they're, they're, they're gone. You know, the issue of men and women and what we just read in Article 3, for a lot of us, is just like the crazy uncle that we've locked away in the basement, right? Okay? Occasionally, we'll throw down a piece of meat down the stairs, okay? Just to kind of acknowledge that he is there. But let's be honest, out of sight, out of mind. I also recognize when we come to this that some of you have deep, pain, scars, and issues with this whole area, and some justified, whether you're a woman who's received abuse at the hands of a man, or maybe you're wrestling with personal areas of sin struggle in your own heart and life, which which makes it difficult to to hear this and receive it, even if you agree with it. I, I understand, as I've talked to so many of you about these things, And so before we dive into this article, Four Oaks, I think there's something that that might be just as important as actually unpacking the article itself, and that's helping us all wrap our minds around why this issue is so important, Why, why this issue belongs in a statement of faith like this one. Because if, if we don't understand that, then this doctrine's not going to have the teeth in it that God desires for it to have. It's not going to have the beauty. It's not going to have the wisdom. I would, I, would, I would say that God doesn't want us just to read this this morning and embrace it and be like, okay, I got it, begrudgingly. It's what God said. I got to live with it. No, 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 no. This is God's word. This is beauty. This is truth. There is life in his word in terms of what it speaks about men and women. And I really pray, as part of our time, we are cultivating not a begrudging, dutiful obedience to his word in this, but that God begins to open our eyes and our heart and say, there is something awesome here. There is the gospel here. This is God here. This is is part of who he is and how he's working in his people. So, So two reasons, let me just spend some minutes with this, why this is really, really important. And the first issue is this, if you're writing down, biblical authority. Biblical authority. You know, a lot of you have sent off your children to college, and they come back with the freshman 15, right? So what is the freshman 15? One too many trips to the buffet line, okay, in the freshman year. My first year of marriage, I married when I was 23 years old. I call it 23 for 23, okay? I was 23 years old. I put on 23 pounds. 
and it was awesome, okay? We lived in the barbecue capital of the world, Memphis, Tennessee. There was a barbecue joint on every corner, a buffet in every barbecue joint, and it was just something that happened. I did not wake up one morning, though, and say, you know what? Today is the day, okay? It's the first day of my long journey to put six inches onto my waistline, okay? That's not how that worked, right? None of us ever get to decisions typically um, by that route, It was rather a slippery slope of itty-bitty daily decisions that took me to a place nutritionally um, I should not have been going. Now, here's a comparison. Most orthodox evangelical churches or Christians or denominations, they don't wake up one day and say, you know what, today is the first day on the road to throwing off the Bible's authority. Okay? No, that does not happen, okay, typically. Today is the first day in my long journey of shirking God's word and God's truth and God's teaching in my life. In fact, it would be a little easier to deal with if that were the case. It happens by a series of very incremental, slow, but sure and steady Steps And let me, let me give an example because this is something that was publicized just, just this week in the evangelical world. Tony Campolo, who, who many of you know is an influential author, speaker, figure, writer, um, a, a, a sort of a dominant evangelical personality over the last 30 years. A number of years ago, several decades ago, he became very vocal about this idea of not having distinctions between men and women, not, not assigning men and women to complementary roles. And so he, he, one, of his, one of his flags that he's carried for a long time relates to leadership and authority and elders and pastors and preaching, and that's kind of been one of his things. And so for many of us conservative evangelicals, you know, we've kind of had a response of saying, you know, I, I don't really agree with that, but, you know, Tony is such a voice for the church. He is so gifted. He is so influential. Just kind of, let's just kind of let that slide. This week, 30 years later, Tony Campolo came out very vocally and publicly affirming um, unequivocally same-sex marriage the inclusion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered questioning, okay, as, as receiving those who are in disobedience to the clear teaching of God's word as communing members in the church. And if people were shocked, they shouldn't have been, right? They shouldn't have been. Why? Because this was a slippery slope that began 20, 30 years ago. And the arguments used to justify obliterating biblical distinctions in roles, they are in fact precisely the same arguments that are used to justifying promoting same-sex relationships. They're like yeast and dough. You cannot separate them. And let me kind of explain how this works, because for folks, you, you need to understand worldview, Bible, culture, truth, how all of these things intersect together. 
And again, we're, this is all under the guise of biblical authority and why this needs to be in the statement of faith. So when we come to a text like 1 Timothy 1 or 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, which affirms men into the role of pastors, elders, and teachers over the local body, okay, and not discounting women who teach and lead in the local body. Women, it's very clear, Paul is like, women should, should be trained, women should teach other women, women should teach children, women should invest themselves in their homes, but for the office, and that office only, that is reserved for men. And, and a lot of times the way that people get around that is they, is they say things like this, okay? So uh, perk your ears up. You know, Paul, when he's writing Timothy in Ephesus, he's, he's not addressing all women in all times and all circumstances. He's just addressing the women in Ephesus. You see, they were uneducated, and they were new believers, and they were being divisive, and they weren't walking in peace, and they were being disruptive. And, and after all, the whole culture in the ancient Middle East was, was, was one of devaluing women and assigning them to roles. And so, so what Paul is talking about is culturally bound. Okay? It's not applicable to us today. Have you heard that argument before? It's an argument many have made. It's an argument Tony Campolo made. So when you come to an issue of same-sex relationships, Paul once again says in 1 Corinthians 6, in Romans chapter 1, that, that, that sexuality is good and it is to be bound up in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman and that, and that same-sex relationships in God's eyes aren't necessarily any worse than any other sin, but in, indeed they are a sin. And, and the way that that's gotten around, now, now maybe you've heard this. Well, you know, Paul really wasn't aware of this idea of gender. You know, but Paul didn't envision loving same-sex monogamous relationships. Paul wasn't speaking to those. He was speaking against exploitive same-sex relationships or pedophilia or promiscuity. Now, folks, what do each of those arguments hold in common? Because they are precisely the same argument. But it's a really slippery slope. You see, it, it's a long journey from saying, here's what the Bible says, and this is not what it means in relationship to roles. You've got to do some serious interpretive jujitsu to get to that place, okay? But to go from the, there is no roles in the Bible, to the Bible does not speak against same-sex relationships, that journey is very, very short. Guys, this article is crucial because it is a centerpiece of biblical authority. And by the way, Pastor Dave taught last week on Article 2. And what was Article 2 about? The authority of God's Word. And please understand this. What we're going to talk about today, it will be totally incomprehensible to you unless you get Article 2. If ultimately these discussions are not about sexuality... They are not about roles. Ultimately, they're about the authority of God's word. Does God's word hold sway? 
is does God's word give us a sure place to stand? And with this article, probably for some of us, some of us, most of us probably agree with that, but here's the kicker. Do we trust it? Can I entrust myself to it? Or am I ashamed of it? Am I shy about it? Am I embarrassed about it? When in reality, as we'll see in a moment, there is life here. Here's a great quote from James Smith, and it reminds us what's at stake here, for folks. He says this, when the Bible seems to be telling you exactly what the dominant culture is telling you, the Bible is no longer inspired, but merely inspirational. And so think about this for a minute. Maybe it's not this area, or maybe it is. But where for you has the Bible gone from being the inspired word of God to truly inspirational? You kind of go to it for nice anecdotes. You go to it for, for, for certain verses that affirm what you want to do. Or in fact, is it, a, is it a sword that cuts deep? And again, as we prayed, that's God's grace. So biblical authority, second reason. And this relates to the gospel itself. So now we're still on second reason why we think, as elders and pastors, this is really, really important to have in a statement of faith. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, we're talking about the gospel. Very familiar verse for many of you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm going to make a jarring transition here for a second and talk about college mascots. Can we go there? Okay. Um, when you think about a great college mascot, okay, a group of fighting men or some fierce mammal that will shred you from, from piece to piece, right? So you think about the fighting Irish, okay? These are all teams I hate, by the way, but they have cool mascots. The Trojans, okay, the Wolverines, the Longhorns. I have to give it to you, FSU folks, the Seminoles, that is a pretty cool mascot, right? And, and, and so how do schools choose mascots? Well, they want a mascot that, that fits the picture they are trying to portray of themselves and of their university, okay? So we got to have, like, people who hurt each other or, like, animals that do things to other animals. You get the idea, right? Well, UC Santa Cruz about 30 years ago, 30 years ago went a different direction. They had a, they had a contest on campus to, to vote as they adopted a new mascot. And they went with, and I kid you not, this is true, the banana slug, okay? Now, now you may say, what is a banana slug? That's a good question I'm about to tell you. And I'm quoting, a banana slug is a slimy yellow mollusk that slides across the ground, leaving only an oily residue wherever it goes. It has no spine, so it just sits there and does what? Oozes. Okay, that's what it does. Now, not an expert on mascots, but I can tell you the mascot image doesn't do justice to the team, right? It doesn't do justice to the team. Because in a very real way, and I'm serious about this, marriage is the mascot or the symbol of the gospel, Marriage represents 
the picture of the good news of Jesus Christ dying for his people. And, and, and husband and wife, understand this. The roles that you play in marriage together mirrors the roles that God plays to us in salvation. Okay? They, they, in fact, we can say this. Your marriage is a parable. It is a story that's being acted out. Parents, you need, you need to understand this. Your children are not learning about the gospel just by what you're teaching them. They are learning the gospel by the way that you two relate. Okay? And that is serious business. Because when we start messing with roles, we are messing with the very thing that God has given us to communicate the truth of his good news. You've heard me say this before. Why will there not be marriage in heaven? Think about that. Okay? Why will there not be marriage in heaven? And the simple answer is we won't need it. That marriage is given to us in this life for a time, for a season, to give us a picture of the love that Jesus had for his bride by dying for her and, and the honor and the respect that we give to Jesus by the fact that he's laid his life down for us. We now submit our lives to him. That's the interplay that we need here on earth to, to show us what Jesus' love for us is about. When we get to heaven, we'll see Jesus face to face. We won't need marriage anymore. Okay? That's, that's the reason and so when you lose roles, you dim the biblical view of marriage. And when you dim marriage, you lose a picture of the gospel. And, and we'll get into this in a minute, but, but think about, be thinking about it now, husbands. How am, I, how am I demonstrating Christ's love for my bride? The way I treat my wife, what does that communicate to my kids about the love of Jesus for us. Wives, be thinking about it. As I'm entrusting myself to my husband's leadership and submitting myself to him, how is that communicating the, the submission that the church has to her Lord, Jesus Christ? How did those things... And, and those are not novelties. Those are not novelties because when you lose roles, it may not be, this, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be the next decade. It, it may take a generation, but fundamentally we've seen this route be traveled so many times. When you lose roles, you lose the good news. And, and this is what Paul seems to be communicating. So, so to wrap up this section, two reasons why we think this article is particularly important. And you may say, well, you know, Pastor Paul, this is not in a lot of statement of faith. Why is it in this statement of faith it wasn't an issue for 2,000 years? It wasn't an issue for 2,000 years. Everything that's contained in a statement of faith is there because at one time somebody spilled theological blood for it. Whether it was the divinity of Jesus or the idea that God is one being in three persons, these are things that were forged in the life of the church that were already true in the scriptures, but they had to have a finer point and parameters put upon them. And for this generation, this Article 3 clearly is, is, is where the gospel and the authority of the Bible is at stake. Okay, two things we want to highlight from this passage in our remaining minutes together, or this article. I want to talk about genders, gender, and I want to talk about roles, okay? Gender and roles. Genesis 127. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, the, the, the same-sex issue is, is not just the only issue we're contending with okay, as a church. There's a larger cultural debate, and this one relates to what does it mean to really be a man? What does it mean to really be a woman? Okay, let me ask it this way. Is what it means to be male or female, our, cultural, our culture is asking, is that interchangeable? Is gender a social construct? Is gender something you can put on, take off like a glove or a coat or a hat? And, and unless you've been hiding under the, a rock somewhere... We, we, most of us are, are understanding that this has been sort of thrust upon us, at least in the popular realm, through what we've seen happen tragically in, in the life of Bruce Jenner. Now, now, John Piper asked a great question about this that I think highlights this whole issue of gender for us. Okay? And he asked the question this way, and I want you to think about this. Is Caitlyn Jenner still the father of Bruce Jenner's children? Is Caitlyn Jenner still the father of Bruce Jenner's children? You see, our culture doesn't have a category to answer that. But Genesis 1 does, though, because it holds up unequivocally this idea that that God created man, men and women, in his image. Now, when you read Genesis 1, folks, it is a it gives us this rich picture that God is creating different but complementary things that work together. Okay, have you noticed that in Genesis 1? There's heaven, there's earth. There's darkness and light. There's sea and land. There's even God and humanity. And it's part of the brilliance of God's design and creation that he creates things that are different, but when put together, constitute a whole. And what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that the creation of man and woman is the apex of God's artistic work. And and there's really two implications we can draw, or there's many implications, but here are two particular implications that we can draw from this. I want to be really clear about it. Because one relates to honor, to honor. Because male and female are both fully human, both fully imago Dei, made in the image of God, both of equal value and worth to God, because of that, both, both are worthy of honor. Both are worthy of honor. You know, a friend of mine here in town noted this first, and I think it's true. On Mother's Day, we love to laud and venerate mothers as we should, okay? On Father's Day, though, what do we do? We kind of like unload on dad for his failures, right? We, 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 you know, dad gets his lame tie, then he has to come in here and be yelled at. Fathers, we will not get you a, we will not yell at you next week. We won't get you a flower either. But anyway, don't worry, okay? We'll do something to honor you. And, and a lot of times, guys, that's, that's wrong. 
because there's to be mutual honor. Ephesians 5 says women honor, honor, honor men, but 1 Peter actually says men honor women. And let's read that passage, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing what? Honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We'll come back to that. Now, now why show honor? Why show honor? Since, and husbands, listen to this, they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, you honor your wife because she is a co-heir with you. She is, she is of equal essence. She's made in the image of God. Okay? She is not the little woman. Okay? And, and, and she is to be one who is, who is held up and is to be respected. Why? Because she's a co-heir in Christ. She's a co-heir in Christ. Now, now but, but here's, here's where this passage is really important. We are to honor each other, but unless we honor each other as men and women, we will honor each other in all the wrong ways, okay? Because the way a man is honored and the way a woman is honored is going to be fundamentally different, okay? Or should be. Or, or husbands, you could be in for a catastrophic mistake at the next Mother's Day if you don't fully understand this, okay? Let me illustrate this. Parents, do you honor your sons and daughters in the same way? Do you do that? I, I, I sure hope not, okay? Um, you know, our, our son is, is not a big phone talker, okay? He generally communicates on the phone with grunts, okay, in one-word syllables that none of us can understand, okay? And so he just, okay. It doesn't honor him, okay, to try to draw him out in, in that way, okay? He wants to do stuff, okay? He feels honored when mom and dad spend time with him or we entrust him with some responsibility or a task or accomplishing something. That's, that speaks his honor language. Our daughters, on the other hand, chit-chat is king, okay? And, and there's a lot of estrogen in our house, and I can fully testify to this. You know, we know when we show honor a lot of times the most for our, for our girls, it's about 10 o'clock every night when they wander back into our bedroom, and they just want to download their day, and how do we honor them? We listen. We value. We understand, okay? Jack's already asleep. He's already he's done, okay? That, does not, that, that is not the honor language he speaks. When we destroy this idea of gender and differences, we destroy the very fabric of the Imago Day. how we are to honor and treat one another. Because you, I mean, he says you honor your wife as the weaker vessel. What does that mean? just means, doesn't mean that she's inferior. It just means she's constitutionally different than you. She's probably not as strong as you. Um, she has different needs than you. You care for her physically, emotionally, spiritually. She needs to be treated with tenderness and understanding. And by the way, guys, if you're not treating your wife and living with her in a wise and understanding way, you don't have a wife problem. You've got a God problem, okay? Because 
I said I wouldn't, I wouldn't yell next week. This week we'll yell, okay? <laughs> Live with her in a wise and understanding way. Or else what? God's going to hinder your prayers. What? God's judging? Yeah, totally. Okay? If you say you hate your brother, if, but if you, if you say you know me, but you hate your brother, you walk in darkness. Okay? Husbands, when you love your wives, you and, and, and honor them as that weaker vessel, that honors God. That's why Peter says what, you, what he says. Women, you honor your husband as your head by acknowledging, and, and, and every person's a little different, but by acknowledging his contributions, his work, his sacrifice, you're affirming his care and protection. Don't, wives, don't honor your husbands by patting him on the head and telling him it's going to be okay, okay? That's not, not, how husband, not, not how Susan honors me, okay? Okay, don't pat, and, and husbands, don't, don't pat your wife on the back and send her back into the ring, okay? Unless you're prepared to go into the ring with her and get hit, okay? Okay, men and women are different. And if we don't recognize that, we don't know how to honor one another. Second implication on this idea of gender, okay? And this is a Tim Keller word, so I'm going to use it. Gender means that there are non-interchangeable glories that both men and women possess. And here's what we mean. Guys, men do things that women cannot. Women do things that men cannot. Okay, let me go a little deeper. And, and this is, hopefully this, this, will, this will land. There is a way husbands and men, that wives reflect the image of God that you do not. Okay? Wives, women, there are ways that men reflect the image of God that women do not. That's why there has to be two. That's why they have to go together. We see the image of God more clearly by having two of a different kind than two of the same kind, okay? You could preach and teach the, the, the doctrine of, of heterosexual marriage from this text alone. A lot of times, we want to make a big deal about this proof text and that proof text, and, and, God, and we define ourselves by what we're against. And, and let me say this. The reason that we are so strong when it comes to heterosexual marriage shouldn't simply be because of what we're against. It's what we're for. And what we are for is the character of God. And there is something missing for a child. I'll say this. There's something missing for a partner. There is something missing for society and for culture and for marriage when you don't have um, one each of a different kind. Same-sex relationships can never provide that. Because man and woman are made in the image of God, and who they are together reflect God more fully. And, and, and let me say this for a second to single parents. Okay, um, You may be a single dad or a single mom. And you're like, what, what, what does this mean for me? And let me say this. Parents, one of the things, single moms and dads, one of the greatest things and gifts that you can give your children is the family of God. Is the family of God. There can be a real propensity sometimes among single parents because life is so hard and life is so difficult and life is so busy, you just feel like you're in survival mode. 
You feel like you just got to batten down the hatches and it's the best I can do to just, when in reality, God says, my image is born in my people where there are men and women. And so as you serve and as you fellowship and as you minister in the body, that gives your child the thing they most need. And that's a complete view of the image of God. So guys, without understanding the theological vision of Genesis 1, sexual prohibitions in our culture make no sense. They make no sense. Gender, though, is not a Pauline concept. It's a God concept rooted in creation. Last point will be done. Let me say something about roles. Genesis 2, 16 through 18. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You know, every vacation the Gilberts have taken for the last 15 years has involved a fight, okay? And a serious fight, and it's a fight over the role of who gets to push the buttons in the elevator, okay? I, I kid you not, okay? We have had to send kids home from vacation because of this issue, or actually we wanted to send them home, okay? And, and because, okay, now understand, elevator buttons are fine. Somebody has to push them. Okay, we, 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 totally, we totally get that. But, but, but just like our culture, there is great inequity, isn't there? When we think about, well, he's been assigned that role, and I've been assigned this role. and You know, guys, the problem is not with roles. Now, let's just get this out here right now. The problem is not with roles. The problem is not with the elevator buttons. The problem's with the heart. Okay? This is always a God issue. And what we see in Genesis 2 is that God gives instructions to Adam. And, and understand this, husbands, men. Before the creation of Eve. Before Eve was created, God gave instructions to Adam not to eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree, which by implication means this. Whose job was it to tell Eve what's up? It was the man. It's Adam's role to instruct Eve to guard from error. That's his role, to lead and be a spiritual covering for his wife, protect her, teach her, and cover her. I would venture to say, you know, a lot of times, you know who has a really hard time with this whole idea of gender roles? It's not women. It's men, okay? It's men. I believe, okay, call this chauvinistic if you will, I believe in the heart of every woman lies a desire for this. True leadership, true spiritual covering, true, true protection. And it's very interesting that Eve sinned first, but who did she give the fruit to? Dummy, okay, who was standing right there, okay? Larry Crabb wrote a book about this called The Silence of Adam. What was he doing? And it's very interesting, isn't it, men, that, that when, 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 the, when their sin becomes known, who does God, shall we say, approach? And who does God approach? Adam. And he does what men in this fallen world do. It's her fault. She, she did it. This is why Paul says sin came into the world through whom? One man. Okay. What does this teach us, men, about 
what it means to be a leader. It's simply, fundamentally, a leadership role means you are responsible for every single thing that happens in your home. Okay? I didn't say culpable, but I said responsible. You know, our first year of marriage, Susan and I had more money than we would ever have in the history of our life, right? Okay, so we both had jobs. We had no kids and no debt and no budget, and it was really awesome. So we were eating out all the time and having so much fun. And then we got to Christmas, and we looked at the checking accounts, okay, six months later, and it was interesting. There, there wasn't anything in there. And, and so because my, my preferred way of budgeting in those days was I would get the, the statement, the, the bank statement in the mail, Remember when you got those, okay, and they had like those cancel check things in that, okay? Don't you hate getting behind the person at Whole Foods who still writes a check? Anyway, no, 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 no. So, so there's checks. And so I look at this. I'm not really sure what to do with it. So I just did what came naturally. I just threw it under the bed, and they just kind of piled up after a number of months. And it would have been very easy to say, Susan, you did not help me, okay? I know I've, I mean, like, I know I'm a man and, like, the leader. And, but you didn't help me. It, you know, Lord, this is the woman that you gave for me. No, 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 no. As the man, you're not culpable for everything that happens. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to answer to the Lord. Because he comes to you. And you are responsible. And you're like, that sounds really hard. And it really is, Okay. That's why we need God's grace. What does this mean for you as a woman, as a helper? Because helper in our culture has an inherently negative connotation or an inequitable connotation, but really it's a glorious thing. See, Eve was to serve and empower and to encourage and lift up and support her husband to empower him to lead in the way that God had called him to lead. You know, just got done with a biography a couple of years ago um, on George Washington by, by Ron Chernow. And, and I don't have to, to, to wriggle all the stories for you. You know probably what sort of man George Washington was and the amazing general and leader and the victory and the sacrifice and the resilience and not just as president, but really leading the Continental Army from the brink of utter destruction but you know what? Not many people ask, how was it that Washington did this? How did this actually happen? How was it possible for him to do what he did? A little known fact is that, that Washington had an aide de camp. And, and an aide is, is, was, in that day, was, he was like the, the COO. Okay? You had the visionary, then you had the, all the guy who made everything happen. And he was a man, and you probably know him, he's on your $10 bill, named Alexander Hamilton an extraordinarily gifted man. He actually founded our banking system and our monetary policy. He was the first treasurer of the United States. And he absolutely took care of everything for Washington. Appointments, letters, correspondence, organization. Because he did what he did, it allowed Washington to do what he had to do, to serve a larger mission. Now, let me ask you a question. Trick question. Who had the most important role? And I would say that's the wrong question because it's not about which role each of them filled. It was about how faithful they each were in filling the role that God had given them. 
See, both the helpmate and the leader are indispensable because families understand this. You've been given a mission as a family to glorify God, to grow in grace, to serve and worship, to raise up the next generation of, of worshipers from your children. Don't denigrate your roles. Husbands don't, wives don't denigrate your role. Husbands don't denigrate your wife's role. What does 1 Corinthians 12 say? And this is so good. Paul says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to, no, hear that, seem, seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, what? We bestow the greatest honor. Brooks, God, and I'll close with this. This is a glorious biblical vision that God gives us. And it runs totally counter to the culture that we live in. But like any truth that's in God's word, we think there is life and blessing here. That's why we all want to go home. I want to pray, Lord, write this on my heart. Lord, write this in my marriage. Write this in my relationship with my kids. Single parents, Lord, give me grace. Let me get into the, the community of, of believers. Because what's ultimately at stake here is Jesus. That our roles function as a, as a reflection of him and his love for us. His design for us is good and perfect. Folks, let's, I call us this season to entrust ourselves to it, to walk in faith in it. When we're coming to the table today, let me tell you the connection here. It takes courage to wrap our minds around a hard cultural truth that's biblical. And when we come to this table, we're flying under the banner, the banner of King Jesus. And we're saying, Jesus, it's hard. Jesus, I'm failing. Jesus, I'm sinning. Jesus, I'm struggling with all this. And Jesus says, but my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and, and, and commune with me in this place. Because I died for you. I died for your struggle. I died for your sin. I died for your failure in your role as a man and a woman or in your marriage or in your parenting. That's the whole point.